Hey there and welcome in film fans. This is the SDFP, the second day film podcast. We're so happy that you're here listening with us on this Saturday, July 14th, 2018. We just got a two-man show today. Sam has, uh, he's taken the weekend off. We'll catch back up with him next week or the week after. So just me and the podcast founder, Brandon Champion. Champ, how you doing? Feeling wonderful, man. It's a beautiful summer day here in the great state of Michigan. And I uh, just want to say before we start, no ants were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yeah, that might give a little bit of a hint as to uh, what's the, the big film in theaters right now. It's uh, the Ant-Man sequel, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And we're going to do things a little bit differently this week. Champ was the only one who was able to see it. So we're not going to have the traditional featured review of Ant-Man and the Wasp, but we will end the show with Champ's review of that, kind of what he thought. And we also want to talk about what else we've been seeing. So it's kind of a full-blown who's watching what. And we've got a lot to get to, Champ. But before we do all of that, you know, we have been growing our presence, you know, online. Uh, we just are so appreciative to everybody who's liked, commented, engaged with us. And there are a lot of ways to, to connect with us on social media. Yeah, I mean, Facebook is where we do most of our engagement. But if you want to listen to our old episodes, iTunes and SoundCloud mm-hmm. uh, is a good place to do that. Just go ahead and search Second Day Film Podcast. We actually just passed uh, 600 total listens on the uh, okay. old SoundCloud there. So we'll take that. We'll take a small, a small victory. Round of applause for ourselves there. <laughs> Um, in iTunes, we don't really know how many people are listening, but, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. We appreciate every single listen that we get from you guys. We appreciate everyone who goes on social media and talks movies with us or leaves a comment. Uh, so Second Day Film Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud. You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. Uh, basically, if it's a social media, it's out there. Go ahead and search and, and give us a chance. Give us a like. Yeah, and, and what's funny is, and I think what I really want to sell to people when we do this pod is, you know, we want to see everything. And what was interesting about our listens on SoundCloud is the worst out of the 15 films we've reviewed, the, the dead last, you know, in terms of order and ranking is Super Troopers 2. And it's our most listened to podcast. So we want to give the people what they love. Maybe we didn't love something, but clearly there was interest in that movie. Right. We got to give the people what they want. That's a shout out to Jalen Rose. Uh, Detroit native, I must say. That's right. All right. So we're going to get to uh, who's watching what. Uh, kind of a full-blown expanded who's watching what today. I'm going to start it right off. So, Champ, I've cleared through a few of the series that I've been needing to kind of tie up loose ends, finish a few series. So I was anxiously anticipating and awaiting the beginning of Westworld Season 2 on HBO. I loved Season 1. It's one of my favorite first seasons of any TV series I've ever seen. And I got two episodes in, and something all of a sudden happened with my HBO On Demand, and I no longer can get the episodes for free. So I have to go and pay for or, or subscribe to the episodes. Uh-oh. Yeah, so Uh-oh. I know I got alert the media. Oh, wait, well, I, yeah, yes, <laughs> but I got two episodes in, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to shift gears and figure out, or maybe wait until uh, it, 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 they're they're able to make them on demand. So I kind of had to veer off, even though I really wanted to see that, and this, the start of season two was really wait, good. Wait, hold on, bro, don't you got HBO Go? I don't know. Maybe I need to look into that. You should have it if you have an HBO subscription. You'll have HBO Go. You can watch all the episodes. Well, what I have is I just have like the kind of the standard Comcast Xfinity, and usually that comes with 
HBO, free movies, all of the shows, Game of Thrones, uh, Westworld, anything. And for whatever reason, it, it now is saying that I, I haven't subscribed. So I'll have to look into it. If anybody out there is facing this problem or knows kind of a good way to watch HBO shows other than the traditional route, let me know. Uh, post on our Facebook page. Send us an email or tweet at us. Uh, but So I had to veer off, champ, and I, I started in the se second season of another series that I've really wanted to watch, and it's the Netflix original series Stranger Things. I'm way behind on this, because it came out around Halloween time, if I recall correctly, October. Last year. Yeah, last year, so it's almost been a year, uh, but this has been on my list that I, I keep track of, and I've just started season two. I, I barely even a half of an episode in. Um uh, but I've gotten started on it, and I, I just wanted to make a few remarks. I just love how, you know, with the first season and continuing to the second, I love how this series is just so 80s. It doesn't seem like there are many current series, or at least not many that I've seen, that take place in that decade. From the, the opening title, uh, the, the, even the logo, to the song, the music that accompanies that title... Uh, to, you know, like a hugely popular arcade, the different settings throughout the series. I just love the way that they pay tribute to that decade. And when we think of the 80s, what do we think of? We think of horror films. I mean, that was peak horror films. It was when, maybe not all of the best ones came out, but it was when horror films were hugely popular. And so I, I really loved the first season. I'm just diving into the second season, but I've got high hopes I went to IMDb and I looked up the user reviews episode by episode without spoiling anything. And, and the fans at least really love the second series. What did you think? Because it can be tough to follow up a successful season one in a show like this. I've seen them both. Um, I, I, I like the first season a little bit more, but the second season is really good. Um, what I agree that you mentioned that the horror films, you know, it definitely draws and has influences from the Duffer Brothers who created the show. Yeah. Uh, definitely, you know draw from horror films, but even beyond that, I think they sort of just draw from movies in the 80s in general. You mm -hmm. know, I get a lot of, like, E.T. vibes in it. Yeah, I get a lot of, that's true. Uh, you know, just movies, they're clearly, they're taking bits and pieces from different types of cinema or television from that era and bringing it all together into this show. Uh, the casting director deserves a, a gold star for finding these kids mm -hmm. uh, that they cast, because they all do amazing work in the show. Um... The second season expands a little bit on sort of some of the mysteries that unfold in the first one and sort of uh, branches off into sort of a new, uh, I guess, tunnel of the of the upside down in the, in the sort yeah. of netherworld. Um, it's good as well. I think it's a little bit, um, it's not as good as the first okay. season, I would say, but Stranger Things definitely a show a lot of people are loving and, uh, you know, it's definitely worthy of watching and following up on. Yeah, you made a good point. The pop culture references to the 80s, that's why people loved this series, at least the first season, because they're littered throughout. And you made a good point. I said horror films, but it does pay homage to a lot of sci-fi films uh, from the 80s. And you mentioned E.T. Of course, the kids are always on their bikes. That's like a direct nod to the young boy in E.T. So I'll be interested to see... Um, what I, what I think of it, but it sounds like you liked it quite a bit, but just maybe not quite as much as the first season. Yeah, no, the, both both seasons are enjoyable, though, and they're nice and quick, you know, just quick eight episodes that you can watch on Netflix. It's yeah. nice. Um, I'm going to kick it off with my first thing. It's a movie uh, that came out in February called Red Sparrow. Uh, this movie is uh, directed by Francis Lawrence and star stars Jennifer Lawrence, Joel Edgerton, uh, Matthias Schoenartz, Charlotte Rampling, Mary Louise Parker, and Jeremy Irons. Uh, this movie... 
uh, has to do with, uh, it's an espionage film. Um, I think it was actually one of our polls we were kicking around, maybe reviewing it at the time. We never got to it. Uh, but the, the plot summary on IMDb, ballerina Dominica Igorova is recruited to Sparrow School, a Russian intelligence service where she is forced to use her body as a weapon. Her first mission, targeting a CIA agent, threatens to unravel the security of both nations. So, you know, you get a classic Russian-American espionage <laughs> uh, sort of plot summary there. Um, this is a brutal movie, man. It's It's got sex, seduction, violence, murder, torture. Um, and honestly, I think it uses it a little bit too much, uh, almost to the point where it sort of degrades Jennifer Lawrence's character, who is uh, really who they're trying to make the hero of the film. And, you know, we've seen her beaten down so much in the movie uh, that even when she does sort of have these small victories, they don't really feel like victories. Like, I'm all for brutal movies if there's a purpose to them. You know, it, it, it doesn't do anything to escape or transcend the espionage genre. It all feels pretty familiar and played out. Jennifer Lawrence gives a solid performance, as usual. She's a great actress, although I wasn't crazy about her Russian accent in this, or for by any of the American actors, for that matter. The movie's way too long. It's about two hours and 20 minutes. The story's kind of hard to follow. Quite honestly, the only reason I was able to follow the story is by reading along on Wikipedia uh, to sort of, you know, with this, not giving spoilers, but just reading along, recapping what I've already seen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a spy espionage thriller, so it, it weaves in and out, but it doesn't do a very good job keeping the audience engaged. I think there's some good shots, particularly of Jennifer Lawrence when she's sort of dancing in these epic Russian dance halls. But ultimately, I think the movie, it, while it's trying to be super stylistic, I think it falls flat for the most part, mm. which is tough to say with a movie that has the talent that's in this. There's not a ton of action other than people just being brutalized. It's got a cold, frozen color palette. It's just depressing for the most part, um, which doesn't have to be a bad thing. Schindler's List is a super depressing movie, um, but it's still an amazing film, you know, yeah. because it, it has a purpose to it. Um, you know, when you watch a film after, you know, when you watch a film like this, often after you'll ask yourself, uh, you know, wow, I feel like crap, but why did it make me feel like crap? And when you ask yourself that question in this movie, you don't really have an answer. It has no purpose or reason to why it's doing it. And ultimately, that's why I feel like it came up a little bit short. That being said, it looks cool at times, and J-Log is a good enough performance where I, I do think it might be worth watching if you have the stomach for it. Um, and especially if you're a Jennifer Lawrence fan. Um, so I was at like a 5-5. Five, five, okay. Um, you know, but I I think it's good enough where I'll bump it up to a 6. Okay. So that's Red Sparrow. Came out a little bit earlier this year. Yeah, I got a few points on that. Um, you, you talk about a depressing dark film that has a point. Immediately, I think of a film I talked about earlier on a previous pod, Requiem for a Dream. That's one of the saddest, most depressing films I've ever seen, but there's an intention behind it. And that's what makes it so good. Yeah, you talk about Red Sparrow. That came out right when we started the pod. And we've tried to keep ourselves away from critic reviews. And we've tried to give ourselves, um, you know, an objective opinion going into each movie. But we did know that this one didn't get great reviews, which was surprising given J-Law's in it. Um, but the last point I do want to make is I was heading to the Dominican. And uh, I was flying on Delta. And they've got you know, movies that you can pick on the back of the headrest. And somebody near me uh, was watching Red Sparrow. 
And they, they edit it, just so you know. Okay, good. It's I was an edited say, version. I can't think of much worse movies to pick no. and to watch on a plane. Like, Blinders, hopefully you don't have a four-year-old yeah, sitting they, next they to you. say when certain films they have are edited, but every time I just happened to glance over, J-Law was getting the crap beaten out of her. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, she was getting tortured. So uh, your point is well taken, even for someone like me who's not seen the film. All right, next up, uh, a film that I watched... I watched, uh, I would say, a few weeks ago. It actually came out in 2017, and it's called Life. This film was directed by Daniel Espinoza. It's starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, Ryan Reynolds. Um, let's see, a few more. Hiroyuki Sanada. Those are your main three uh, actors, and it is Reynolds, Ferguson, and Gyllenhaal. And this film takes place aboard the International Space Station. It's a space film. And the description on IMDb is a team of scientists aboard the International Space Station discover a rapidly evolving life form that caused extinction on Mars and now threatens all life on Earth. So again, this came out last year in 2017, billed as kind of a horror sci-fi space thriller. And despite the all-star cast and quite a bit of hype and I think a budget to this film, it wasn't reviewed or received by the general public all that well. It didn't bomb, but I think many were expecting more. That said, I actually liked this film quite a bit. I thought there were some beautiful, compelling shots, especially to open the film, that helped illustrate just how big the universe is. The opening scene, we kind of see the ISS way off in the distance floating through space, and it's really quiet, there's no noise, and there are some beautiful shots, as you would expect for a, a film that takes place in space. Um, it also helped to illustrate, you know, how big the universe is and just how alone and isolated these astronauts are. And I think the filmmakers did a good job of building the suspense as the situation continues to just spiral out of control. Uh, but what I liked the most about this were those moments. I always talk about those, those conversations, those connections between the characters, and they shared some really compelling moments there were some powerful performances at times. A lot of conversations about life and death, which is really fitting. There's one character who he actually, his wife is giving birth to their first child and he's seeing it via FaceTime. And it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition is that's one way that life begins and this alien life force is another way that life begins. And... The, just the juxtaposition between those two things, such a happy thing and what turns out to be such a scary, out-of-control, terrifying thing. Um, but, but I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was especially strong in this film. I was, I was engaged the entire time. And while I didn't think it was perfect, I ended up giving it a 7 out of 10. Have you seen Life? Yeah, uh, me and my fiancé went and saw Life in theaters uh, when it came out. Um, and I remember the same thing. I remember being engaged. I was into the story. It was it had enough style and it was creepy enough where you were sort of into it. Um, but I couldn't help but thinking that this movie was like an alien ripoff. Yeah. The whole time. And even those great shots you're talking about where we're getting the slow pans in the station and the cholesterophobic nature of being in the station, that's all straight out of life. And so it's sort of... Straight the, out of alien. Or alien, yeah. I mean, yeah. And the creepy, you know, the, the the alien itself is very creepy in this movie. The alien and alien is terrifying how it, you know, comes out of the body and all that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that they're really... 
the thematically it also is along the lines of life so it just felt like it was lacking a little bit of originality for me within the space genre but i agree that it was stylistically shot and the performances were pretty good for the most part um i remember carolyn my fiance being completely terrified of the alien after she so that was uh effective i yeah. think in the way that they stage that you know there's enough twists and turns throughout the plot to keep you sort of on your toes um so a good not great movie for me i give it a six out of ten yeah maybe that's i haven't seen kind of the space alien attack type film in a really long time i mean it's been years and so maybe that's why i i wasn't thinking much about whether it was original or not but now that you've said that uh you're right it it didn't bring a whole lot new to the table and that was probably a criticism that other others had as well. Which but, which is unfortunate know. because I remember the you know the marketing and the trailers and the ad campaigns for this movie were super secretive and it was very obscure and it was like mm-hmm. oh this is life like what is this? So I was really hoping going into it for something that was going to you know be unique and sort of take things in a different direction. And when it didn't do that, I sort of I remember feeling disappointed, but I wasn't disappointed that I went and saw it because I was into the movie. Well, yeah, and like I said, some of the the biggest selling points for me were the performance. I mean, did you agree that, that like, Jill Gyllenhaal, I thought, was really good at times? Yeah, I think the performances yeah. were solid. I mean, we obviously have star power here, yeah. so, um, and in a movie where there's not a lot of characters, you really need those, yeah. you know, a- actors that are capable of carrying a scene sometimes by themselves, um, and I think that, that it was good. It was definitely uh, a worthwhile movie to watch, especially if you're into the sci-fi genre. Sure. All right, how about you? What's next <clears throat> up for you? So this is a movie I actually saw. I actually did a little double feature by myself uh, on Tuesday uh, before I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, and I was sort of perusing over the, the available film options. And I saw that the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor uh, by about Fred Rogers Mr. from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood happened to be at Celebration Cinema North, which um, I was surprised. I feel like we don't get a lot of, you know, docs in the big screen here in Grand Rapids, at least not in the main theaters, maybe in like, you know, Woodland or, or the artsy theaters downtown and stuff. But, um, I know this film's, I've been hearing amazing things about it since it premiered at, uh, Sundance a few, or back in like January. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised that when I got to this theater, it was packed. There wasn't an empty seat in the whole, in the theater for this screening. Wow. It was a smaller theater, but it was completely full. Um, and, and you know, I, I have to say, this is a powerhouse documentary. I mean, uh, you know, I, I vaguely remember watching Mr. Rogers as a kid. It was sort of towards the end of his run um, when, you know, but I remember the goofy puppets and the quirky songs and him, you know, coming in and putting on his cardigan and changing his shoes. So I remember watching the show vaguely. Um, but of course, I was young, so I didn't really understand what it was all about. Um, Fred Rogers is an ordained evangelical minister, so obviously there is, you know, faith and religious motifs are littered throughout this film, but what I like about it is sort of like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood itself, the way that he's going about portraying his message is not obvious. It's not obviously religious. It's not in your face, you know? So, like, people who are maybe don't relate to the religious side of things as much can still relate to this because he's portraying what he's trying to say in a very real way and the documentary does the same thing it obviously has religious background in it but it's it's doing it and presenting it in a way where everyone can relate to it it's not obvious it's preaching to you that being said there was several times in this movie where i wanted to stand up and go preach preach because (laughs) It made me think about things, and it makes you think about things in a personal way. It makes you think about the person you are. It makes you think about how you treat people. It makes you think about, um, you know, 
who has helped you get to where you are? You know, what should you be grateful for? And what can you do to make the world a better place? And it, it was such a personal experience watching this movie that it just was so powerful. I mean, I looked around, I looked around in the, in the audience and three-fourths of them were crying after this movie got out. I mean, it's, it really asked the question, what can you do to love your neighbor and make yeah. the world a better place? It, it, it doesn't shy away from Fred Rogers' flaws. It doesn't treat him like a like he's this almighty who is perfect. You know, it, it really gets into the sensitive topics. Um, but I just think it's a really awesome tribute to someone who honestly was an American hero, if you go back and watch this movie and you realize it. I mean, are you familiar with Mr. Rogers? No, do you remember and, him? And, and, and I, I mean, obviously I know who he is, but I never watched the show. So that was what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, you know, if you haven't seen Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and you're not familiar with it, does it... Does it have carry the same weight? I think it does, because like I said, I was probably seven, eight years old when the show ended. Maybe a little bit older. Maybe a little bit older than that. But So I don't remember his... The show was on from the, from the 70s until the 2001, I think, was the last episode. Wow. So <laughs> it went on forever, so he has an impact on generations. But it was towards the tail end where I was. So I don't have a huge connection to the show other than these vague memories of these goofy puppets and goofy, quirky songs in my head. The little train tracks. Right, yeah. But it, but it was so poignantly done. I mean, his kids are in this movie, or interviewed his wife, his friends, his colleagues. There's never before seen footage. It really gets into the psyche and philosophy of who he was. Um, and I think that that's important because even if you haven't seen the show, you can still relate to the concepts that are being talked about. Um, honestly, and I like I said, people were crying. Um, it's the best movie I've seen so far this year. I actually slid it ahead of Avengers Infinity War as my number one film I've seen so far this year. And I don't say that lightly, and I don't say it, you know, wow. in a joking manner. I mean, I really do think from a filmmaking standpoint, this is a real achievement. You gave it a 9 out of 10. I did. And everyone, wow. as we've discussed before, I don't give 10s. So, uh, you know, 9 is the, as high as I go, and I really think everyone needs to see this movie because it will make you think. I think that... What documentaries can do and what real life can do sometimes is something that fiction and movies, you know, the traditional movie, cannot do. And one of my top ten favorite films of all time is a documentary called Hoop Dreams. I will find a way to talk about that on a podcast at some point. But I know what you mean. When a documentary is done well, it makes you think about life, it makes you think about growth, it makes you think about your journey... And I'm excited. If you've gave it a 9 out of 10 and said it's the best film that you've seen this year, I mean, that's obviously enough for, for me to see it. Um, even though I haven't, you know, didn't watch the show. I'm sure, you know, it, part of the job of, the, doc, of the, the filmmakers is to kind of give you a few shot, like a shot in the arm of what the show is like. Yeah, I mean, they obviously give you a brief summary. I mean, most I think they are assuming that, for the most part, people are familiar with what yeah. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is, and you say you're at least familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, but the movie really isn't about the show. It's about the ideas mm -hmm. behind the show. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're going to go to my uh, last uh, review here for Who's Watching What Today. And uh, you mentioned Jennifer Lawrence. I've got a Jennifer Lawrence film for you. This is actually J-Law's breakout role. I watched it just last week. It's a 2010 film called Winter's Bone. This is uh, directed by a female filmmaker, Deborah Granick. It stars Jennifer Lawrence, John Hawks. Um, those are obviously the two big names 
um, Isaiah Stone, uh, Garrett Dillahunt. Um, not a very star-studded cast, uh, but J-Law in this film was simply outstanding. So the plot summary from IMDb, an unflinching Ozark mountain girl hacks through dangerous social terrain as she hunts down her drug-dealing father while trying to keep her family intact. So, as I said just a couple moments ago, this was J-Law's breakout role. This is where her star soared. And this film kind of is humble beginnings for Jennifer Lawrence. It's a low-budget film, but it was carried by her and some of the other actors and actresses involved. It's a gritty, raw film. And what's so impressive about Lawrence's performance is the depth in it. She's a teenager in this, and she's kind of a hardened teenager who's been forced to grow up too fast to take care of her family, her younger brothers and sisters. She acts tough and matter-of-fact while trying to hunt down her father and while encountering those who have connections to him. But at the same time, as she kind of treads into more dangerous social terrain, we see moments where she's terrified and she's emotional and faced with danger and even almost death at times. And the different shades to her performance and the nuance that she carries through the role is just so, so impressive. And the film felt so real. You talk about a documentary um, with the, the Mr. Rogers documentary. This almost felt like a documentary, just the environment, the atmosphere that was created by the filmmaker. It says a lot about family relationships. There's an idea that, you know, although not everybody in a family might get along, at the end of the day, family has each other's backs. And sometimes that means, you know, defending people. Sometimes that means brutal violence, as we see in this film. This is also an interesting glimpse into poverty and drugs in rural Midwestern United States. When we think of poverty and drugs, what's the first thing you think of? You think of urban, inner-city areas. But this is a problem that stretches everywhere, all across the United States, into every nook and cranny of culture and of different societies, different social statuses. And this film really helps to show that. The plot and premise were really simple. The movie was only made for $2 million dollars. But it shows that with a compelling storyline, and more importantly, compelling characters, especially Lawrence, a film can be successful no matter what the plot, no matter the budget. I was really impressed by this. You know, it, it is what it is, and it doesn't try to be more than what it is. But for what it was, it was so good. And I gave it an 8 out of 10. Yeah, well, this this one's been on my list for a long time. I have not seen Winner's Bone before, but four Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, of course, mm -hmm. uh, John Hawkes uh, for supporting role in uh, Best Writing for Adapted Screenplay. And, of course, it sort of, uh, it like you said, launched Jennifer Lawrence's career. She would be nominated by, uh, for Silver Linings Playbook in one two years later, yeah. uh, then American Hustle the next year, and then in 2016 for Joy. So uh, definitely the launching pad and definitely a movie that I, I need to see. I can't really add much more than that. No, it's, that's it's okay. On my list. You're right, though. You know, when you look at the, the, the list of, of Oscar films and Oscar nominations, you know, of course, there's always some that the Academy picks out that you don't really know much of and you've never heard of it. Winter's Bone was one of those. You know, it was kind of tucked along some, you know, some more obscure films of that year, but also some big name films with big name stars. And it it really, you know, the the nominations for it really helped to kind of launch it and give recognition to it. It was, you know, one of those big indie film festival winners. It won a ton of awards that way. Um, but I just thought it was cool knowing Jennifer Lawrence and how far she's come 
through some Oscar-winning performances to big-budget films like the Hunger Games series. It was cool to see her origins and to see kind of where she started. And, yeah, for her performance alone, you need to see this film. I mean, you can put yourself in a studio direct, you know, studio's seat and, and watch probably watch the movie and be like, why the hell isn't this girl in all of our movies? Because she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So definitely one that I'd recommend, an 8 out of 10 for me. All right, so last but not least, it's time to get to... The big film in theaters right now, we won't have the full-blown featured review because Champ's the only one who saw it, but today he's going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Of course, this uh, is directed by Peyton Reed, who I believe was the directed the original Ant-Man, right, Champ? Uh, it also stars Paul Rudd as the Ant-Man, Evangeline Lilly, who plays the Wasp, Michael Pena, and I believe it also stars, uh, let's see, Walter Goggins... I'm scrolling down. Lawrence Fishburne, Michelle Pfeiffer. There's Michael Douglas. Why is he like the 17th listing on this, champ? He, he was a big star in the first film. I don't work for IMDb. I can't All right. Well, anyway, the, the description on IMDb, as Scott Lang balances being both a superhero and a father, Hope Van Dyne and Dr. Hank Pym present an urgent new mission that finds the Ant-Man fighting alongside the Wasp to uncover secrets from their past. So, obviously, this is the second Ant-Man film. Um, where do we stand now, Champ? Are you keeping a tally of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, you forgot T.I., by the way, in that rundown there. He's also in oh, this movie. Oh, that's right. He, he's one of, like, the side part criminals. <laughs> uh, right? But this is the, uh, yeah, this is a follow-up to Ant-Man. It's the 20th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hard to believe we've, we're 20 movies into this thing. And, of course, this is the immediate follow-up to Avengers Infinity War, which came out um, in April. So, um, you know, like the first one, this is a really fun, uh, creative movie that has some awesome special effects um, and, and some interesting ideas. But before I get into my review, Evan, I want to ask you about the first one. Did you like the first Ant-Man? What, what were sort of your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, as you know, and as we've talked about at length on the podcast, um, I really got to compare all of the MCU films kind of side by side by side because I watched them over the course of just a couple of weeks. As I look at my rating right now, it looks like I gave Ant-Man a 7 out of 10. And I remember that being, I, I, if I recall correctly, I was kind of in between a 7 and an 8. And what I liked about the original Ant-Man is it showcased what Marvel does well, and it's create different types of superheroes. You've got the traditional... Uh, you know, you've got the traditional Captain America. He's like the the classic hero. You've got the cocky, rich businessman in Iron Man. You've got Thor, who's you know the god from you know from above. But you know Scott Lang, he's he's a different type of hero. You know, he was a, a criminal at one point. We learned that in the first film, and he uh, he's actually <laughs> brought into the the, the world uh, and given the Ant Man role because he's. He's so good at breaking into different places. You know what I mean? And the, the story with, with Scott Lang was different. And I, I, I was definitely not one of my favorites. Um, it was definitely not one of, you know, my top three or even five or maybe even ten for that matter of the MCU. But what I did notice uh, and I thought was interesting while looking at this on IMDb, both by critics and by users, the second film actually got a little bit better of a review. 
So I'll throw it to you and, and see what you have to say about that. Yeah, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to agree with that, but I do think one thing that both of the Ant-Man films do well is, like you said, it has its own style to it. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a much smaller story for the most part, definitely in the first one and in this one as well. Um, you know, there's, there's very, uh, unique narrative techniques, you know, like, uh, for example, Michael Pena, when he's sort of telling the stories <laughs> and then we watch yeah. the flashbacks and it's the other characters lip syncing, but it's still his voice. You know, they bring that back in this one. That's definitely something they stick with. The unique effects of, you know, it's a movie about Ant-Man. He gets bigger right. and smaller. But you're right. And I don't mean to interrupt, but that is one of the things I remember most about the first film is when he first gets the suit. And he's in the he's in the shower, and then he kind of navigates through different landscape as, a, as the Ant-Man. And that really separated the film. Well, it, it gives it a sort of unique perspective. Yeah. It gives it something new. You know, they, they, they expand on that in this one, and I don't want to give too much away, but they, they definitely use the sort of unique effects that are available to them, you know, dealing with size and dealing with how, how that changes how you perceive the world around you. Um, Paul Rudd, I think, is, is a good casting for him. perfect for the role. You know, he's it, it, Scott Lang needs that sort of comedic touch, which Paul, that sort of awkward, nerdy, but charming comedic touch. You know, Paul Rudd's perfect for that. You know, he has the charm to pull it off, which is good because I feel like some of the actors, like Michael Douglas, for example, doesn't really hit on all the comedy in this movie. I like this movie. It was entertaining enough, but I have to say that it sort of felt like it was the same old shtick as the first one. Okay. And I liked the first one, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. But last week we were talking about, uh, or a couple weeks ago, our last pod, we were talking about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And one of your main beefs about it was that it didn't really bring anything new to the table. I sort of disagreed with that point. But your logic is still solid, and I think that applies in this film. Whereas the movie sort of feels unnecessary at times. Hmm. And when I say unnecessary, I don't mean that it's not like a good movie or worth making, but... As it falls within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it doesn't really do a ton to move the character forward or add anything to sort of the Ant-Man mythos. You know, it's it's almost like the people behind the MCU just felt like they had to check back in with Ant-Man because he doesn't appear in Infinity War. You know, this movie just sort of like exists. It doesn't really do anything to expand the world or, or move the plot forward. We see similar aspects like dumb Scott Lang having to be explained everything, you know, by Michael Douglas and, and uh, the Wasp, uh, Hope, Van Dame is her name or something like that. You know, I think we have a weak central villain here, which has often been a Marvel problem, and I, I feel like they've corrected it as of late with Black Panther and, and Infinity War. But here, I, we don't really, they try and make her like a, a sympathetic figure, and we don't really care about her plight. You know, I just feel like we haven't spent enough time with that particular villain. They don't invest enough time to make us care. So from that standpoint, it feels like a little bit of a step back. Um, I just, it's not a movie that I loved. Let's okay. just say that. Yeah, so a few thoughts on just on, obviously, your comments. Uh, you, you said they, they expand a little on kind of the effects. Well, the trailer gives away that there's a lot of time spent with him being big rather than small. So I think that might have been what, what you were hinting at. Which is something that we've seen in uh, Civil War. Civil War. We right. saw him get big. So Yeah, so that's one point. Um, but 
I kind of assumed that you would learn a little bit more about the Wasp because that he she's kind of more of a sidekick in this than she was in the first. Yeah, I do think Evangeline Lilly is is um, you know she's she her claim to fame obviously is as Kate in the show Lost. She was uh, you know a big part of that show, and I liked her in that, and I I like her as the Wasp. She's got sort of that spunky you know sparring attitude, yep. kind of like the badass chick, and you know we get to see her you know kick some ass in this movie, and it's cool to have you know, her alongside Ant-Man. Um, you know, there's a line that's in all the trailers, like, you know, Paul Rudd's like, you gave her wings? You know, and he's, you know, like, oh, you didn't have that technology available when I was doing it. He's like, oh, no, I did. Which is a throwaway funny line, but it also begs the question, like, well, why didn't you give him wings? That sure as hell would make things a lot easier. <laughs> you wouldn't have to ride Anthony around all over the place <laughs> right. if you just gave him wings. Um, but I liked the movie, and I don't want to come off like I, I disliked the movie, but... We, a lot like like when we talk about Pixar films, we are talking about a very high scale here. This is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and especially when you look at the two movies that's come comes out well, before me, this year, though Black Panther and Infinity War are great movies. Oh well, yeah, so let me interrupt to challenge you for a little bit because I wanted to to say this. Look, over the course of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've had the Hulks, we've had the first two Thors, we've had other films that just haven't quite hit, and and. How can you possibly how can you possibly follow up not only Avengers, which was this collision of all of these superheroes and star studded cast, and also follow up Black Panther, which was uh, culturally relevant and had a lot to say about African American culture, especially in the United States. I just feel like when you have a huge series like this, are you going to have films that are just intended to be a bit more fun and maybe not in, almost intended to be as good? Well, it's interesting that you say that uh, because I actually have that written down. It's also ironic that we're dealing with a character who shrinks because this movie is really small and it feels really small. The stakes feel small. And and that's one thing I actually liked about the first Ant-Man was that we had the, the lesser stakes. It was a more self-confined story. We weren't dealing with all the Captain America drama. We weren't dealing with the cosmic Thor issues, um, but but coming off the massive massive spectacle, the the unprecedented crossover yeah. event, quote unquote, of Infinity War, this movie just feels so insignificant. It almost feels like it. Everything that's happening doesn't matter, um, and and I think it hurts it. And I'm just not as invested as to what's going on because we know that all this other stuff is going on at the same time within the same universe. So I, it's just, and that's, there's really, maybe there's nothing the movie can do about that because, you know, it is what it is. It's a smaller story. They're, they're focusing on a different character. But I guess my main issue, and maybe it's not fair to the movie, but I just think about it in the terms of the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe, it's hard to rank it higher. That being said, I think the movie itself has some issues too. Okay. There's a lot of subplots going on in this movie that don't all feel like they connect. It feels a little bit disjointed. I already mentioned the week. There's actually two quote, you know, villain-esque people. They're, you know, I think they're both kind of weak. They sort of come in and out of the story randomly. I feel like the story is a little bit disjointed is the best word for it in my opinion. And at the end of the film they try and bring it all together and I don't know if it comes together because it's just not they don't connect well. So I do think there is some issues with the movie itself as well. And I would totally, if the if the uh, rankings there say that people like this movie more, I would disagree. I actually like the first one better because it knew what it was trying to do. And maybe part of it is it just fit into the Marvel Cinematic Universe better when that came out as opposed to when this one came out. Yeah, and, and you know, 
is it is it different? Or, I mean, are you ranking it based on where it stands within the MCU, or just as a standalone film? Or can you not can you not do the latter? I, I think it's impossible to differentiate the two yeah. at this point because this universe has become become so connected, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about sequels where you have characters that aren't just being introduced, so they've already had their sort of place. A lot of what happens in this movie is sort of dealing with the fallout of Ant-Man going and helping Cap in Germany in Captain America's Civil War. Okay. So Scott's under house arrest when this movie starts. So we're dealing with that um, more so than in the first Ant-Man. What happened in that one almost feels like it was a complete throwaway. So it's... it's you have. I think it's hard. You ha- you want to judge movies on their own merit, but when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's hard to not think about it within the context of what's going on because that's what they're trying to create. It's not a bad movie. Definitely worth going to see. The effects are incredible. It's funny at times, for sure. I like the performances. Uh, there's definitely some good humor in it. There's some good jokes. Um, but it's just it doesn't live up to some of the other Marvel Cinematic yeah. films, and I actually think it might be one of the worst. I'd probably wow. put it bottom five in in the MCU, which is to not say not to say it's a bad movie because we're talking about the MCU here. Um, but it it just sort of feels unnecessary. Yeah, and I I think that you know you're gonna when you have such a huge uh, cinematic universe, you're gonna have those films. I think inherently that seem insignificant, right? When you think of other bottom fives, right? You think of the Hulk. What was the significance of Hulk? Even the, the first couple Thor films, right? I mean, are those the other ones where you think of... I mean, I, I, I would put those near the bottom. That's not to, Again, not to say they're bad movies, but at least the first Thor and the first Hulk were origin stories. So we're getting introduced to those characters, so they at least serve that purpose. And this one, we've already got the origin story. Yeah. And this almost feels... It doesn't feel like it really expands upon it much. Until, I will say, the Stinger... <laughs> the Stinger. Marvel's obviously known for the Stingers. Uh, you want to make sure you stick around for this one because that's when uh, things get interesting, honestly. Which I don't know if that's a good thing where the part that's not even part of the actual movie is the part that's like WTF the most. That's how I felt about Jurassic World Falling Kingdom. <laughs> the end of the film, I'm like, let's go. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was a good Stinger. Regardless, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's entertaining. It's funny. There's likable characters. Yeah, I mean, the, the critics who liked it they liked it because, at least from what I can tell, A, it was funny, and B, there were some really cool visual effects. And maybe C, it didn't try to be more than what it was. Yeah, and th- and that's sort of a criticism that I'm laying sure, on it. Sure, that's fair. Which maybe isn't fair because well, that's what I liked about the first one. But I just feel like when you have a sequel, you need to expand more, especially when you're in this big universe, and we know what else is going on. So let's bring that in a little bit more and raise the stakes yeah. just a little bit. Sure. That being said, it's worth seeing. Um, I it wasn't bad. I gave it a 6 out of 10. 6 is about the lowest you're ever going to get for uh, an MCU film. So, um, yeah, obviously that's something I need to see just to keep pace with the uh, with the rest of the MCU. But um, that's what we have for you today. Uh, we've got, obviously, a lot that we've been watching. Um, and, you know, for us, this is a time where there's a lot of blockbusters coming up. I don't know if there's anything off the top of your head, Champ, that's going to be hitting theaters soon. Well, I'm excited about uh, the new Mission Impossible coming out. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. I think maybe it's coming out actually this weekend or maybe next weekend. Um, I, I actually recently binge watch. <laughs> Uh, all the Mar- Mission Impossibles because I had realized I'd never seen any of them. You know, I'd heard mixed things, and I really do think 
from watching the original movies uh, that it sort of varies quite a bit from film to film. Um, but I'm hearing pretty good things about this new one, so uh, I definitely would like to see it. I'm definitely going to push you guys to go see wow. it. Wow, yeah. Um, so that that's one big one that's coming out still here this summer. Okay. All right. Well, hey, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show today. Um, we obviously have, have appreciate you listening, and we want to connect with you too. Uh, we've got a lot of ways to do that. Champ, why don't you run them down one more time? Yeah, we tell you guys all the time, Facebook, Twitter, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, um, would really help us if you could invite people to our Facebook page. And also if you could give us a rating or a review on iTunes and SoundCloud, uh, that really sort of helps us get more into the fabric and the algorithm on iTunes to help up our audience and, and share, uh, you know, the talk about movies with more people. That's right. Hey everybody, thanks for listening so much and we'll see you at the movies.